The foundations of the walls of heaven represent that of the earth. What am I talking about? We'll explain that in full later on. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV as we continue on in Revelation 21. Another day of looking at this passage, which is absolutely fascinating. Anyway, Corey is here. Corey, what's going on? So I'm going to be taking a look at ancient clothing and textiles and how they relate here to this second last chapter of Revelation. Ryan? Well, I have a question for us today. If the sun wasn't created until day four of creation week, then what was the light source for days one to three? Well, I think Revelation 21 might hold the answer. I love that, Ryan. The, the end of the book and the beginning of the book of the Bible, and they, they complement each other. It's fascinating. Okay, Janice, what'd you do? Our foundation, building on the rock. All right, very good. Get your Bible guide out. Let's open up our Bibles and look at what God is saying. Revelation 21, verses 17 through 27. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth, chrysophase, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation chapter 21, verses 17 through 27. Remember that you need to become a part of uh, getting our Bible guide automatically every month by getting on our mailing list. And I would encourage you to do so. 
I promise you, I won't bog you down with long letters about finances and all that. We just send you the Bible guide so you can read through the Bible. That's very, very important. A few more days and we'll be into the new year reading the Bible again. Now, Revelation 21. We've got two chapters of the Bible left. This is 21. Revelation 21 begins by telling its readers that in the future, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. The old will pass away and the new one will come. Now, in this new heaven and new earth, there is no more sea. No more sea, what? Well, the sea has several meanings. First, it is dark, gloomy, chaotic in appearance, and it seems to have unknown depths, represents the places of the dead, if you can imagine that. Contrasted by the sea of glass, which is transparent and holy in heaven, and now there is no more death. Also, in the practical sense, it also represents separation between peoples and nations and tongues, as God's people who were once scattered are now gathered together. Jeremiah 31.10 tells us about that. And now there is no more separation between humanity as well as between God. What an amazing thing. Now, this is impossible to truly comprehend since it is not only in the future, but a time when evil has been eliminated. What, what, what does this mean? Well, the world will be very different than anything we've ever experienced in our existence without any influence of evil. Can you imagine that? I mean, what we have understood while growing up in this present world is no longer a fixed standard in our eyes. In fact, our eyes are truly opened and our ears are fully able to hear God as he works very carefully. This is very important to remember. So let's keep that in mind as we focus on this. And today in this chapter, chapter 21, we look at the Lamb's book of life. And Father, I pray today as we venture in this direction that you would reveal to us and let us see the secrets that your Holy Spirit has planted so that we too can look forward to the future. Father, when we look forward, we're also looking up because you're in the future. And I pray, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would see this and we would understand it. Many Christians would hear what you're saying in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. And Father, help us to hear this today. Amen. Now, what's happened here is something interesting. They have an angel who's measuring things. And he says in verse 17, he says, Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of man, that is, of an angel. What? That's right, of an angel. Okay, very interesting. Verse 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper, and a city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedonia. The fourth, emerald. Now that's interesting. What we're seeing here is something like this. The foundations of the wall represent our work on earth. How we live now affects us forever, beloved. How we live now affects us for eternity, 
See, a lot of people say to me, well, I can't wait till I die. I get my eternal life. Wrong. Eternal life, beloved, begins right now. Now is the time of our eternal life. And we begin from now and we live forever. Now, there comes a time when our earthly body can no longer possess our spirit and it descends, but our spirit lives on. And what we've learned in our spirit remains. What we've learned here and understand what God's principles are, that remains in our spirit. Not a new life as we think about it, but it's a better life. We have to keep that in mind now. It's new life because we have a new body and all that stuff, but it's a better life, beloved. All right, let's go on because this gets interesting. Revelation 21, verse 20. So the fifth is Sardonyx, and the sixth is Sardis, and the seventh is Crystallite, and the eighth is Beryl, and the ninth is Topaz. These are the precious stones. And the and the tenth is Chrysoprase, and the eleventh is Jacanth, and the twelfth is Amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. This is hard for us to understand. Why? Gold has a definition that is supernatural, beloved. We cannot understand everything about our Christian life from our examples in this physical life. We don't understand everything about eternity from our examples here. Gold here is interesting, but the gold in heaven is pure gold, my friend. It is a totally different, beloved, totally different uh, animal and a, and a different image of things, beloved. Let me just tell you, that's absolutely true. How can we understand it? We can only understand it when our spirit comes alive and God's Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us exactly what's going on. And we won't really get it till we get to heaven. And we understand that. Very interesting. All right, let's read on. Verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth Bring their glory and their honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means, no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Now pay attention because we need to look at this. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life if we have given our lives to Jesus Christ our Lord. We will no longer need sleep <laughs> or rest like we do now because we are redeemed. That is amazing. Our lives will be transformed. Can you imagine not needing a nap because you're fully restored? No pain, no, nothing like that. We enjoy everything God has planned for us. Now, I know there's people watching me right now who have, have great pain because they're in diseases and all that. 
the diseases will go away. You are healed in Jesus' name. Not right now, necessarily. You might be, but not right now. But you're healed ultimately when you go to heaven, when God, when your life is over here, it's appointed once for man to die, and you see the Lord, you are healed in every sense of the word. Today, I want to talk about a biblical mystery that involves the creation of light. Now, some may think that the sun was the first light, but the sun wasn't actually created until day four of the creation week. But God commanded on day one, let there be light. So if this wasn't the sun, then what was it? Well, Revelation chapter 21 seems to answer that question for us. Let's study. As the name suggests, the book of Genesis is a book of firsts. The first recorded words of the Creator God, for example, come as early as Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, where He commands light to come forth. This is very interesting since God had not yet created the light-giving sun and moon. In fact, the greater and lesser lights would not be created for another three days. Thus, according to the Bible, there was a light source before the sun. Skeptics frequently ridicule the Bible on this point, writes astronomer Danny Faulkner. They argue that ignorant and foolish people wrote it, since they didn't see a problem with the fact that the sun didn't exist for the first three days of creation. However, the creation account doesn't identify the source of the light for the first three days, so we don't know what the source was, but we can be sure that it was not the sun. Also, as scientist and theologian Jonathan Sarfati points out, this unusual counterintuitive order of creation, light before sun, actually adds a hallmark of authenticity. If the Bible had been the product of later editors, as many critics allege, then they would surely have modified this to fit with their own understanding. Significantly, it's in the last few centuries that astronomers have realized that a day-night cycle needs only light plus rotation. But if the light for the first three days was not the sun, then what was it? Many speculate that God himself was that light. This is drawn from passages such as 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, which parallels the light God created on day one to the light God shines in our hearts. Another verse used to support this view is Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, which tells us that the new Jerusalem will have no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God will illuminate it. Others speculate that the source of this light was God's Shekinah glory, while still others believe that this light was not God, but something he created. In modern scientific terms, writes Jonathan Sarfati, we would talk about electromagnetic radiation and photons. Henry Morris quite reasonably argues that while the narrow visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum is emphasized in contrast with the darkness, this probably included invisible parts such as infrared and ultraviolet as well. Critical, though, to this discussion is Psalm 72:17, though this verse is often overlooked because of its mistranslation into English. 
The King James Version of the Bible, for example, declares of the Messiah that his name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. But that's not exactly what the original Hebrew text says. Rather, it says that his name shall endure forever. His name was there before the sun. Thus, it seems clear that Jesus Christ is both figuratively and literally the light of the world, even before the sun. So the question isn't really what was the light source before the sun, but who was the light source? And all the biblical passages I mentioned seem to point to Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth. John 1 confirms that he was there in the beginning. And as Isaiah 60 and Revelation 21 teach, in the future, the Lamb of God will be the light instead of the sun and moon, just like he was before he created them. How very fitting. Jesus Christ, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, is also both the first and last light. Praise God. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because in the beginning, uh, we go from the spiritual and uh, it morphs into the physical world. And by coming into the physical world, he creates light and darkness, but then he creates the sun on the fourth day and the whole business. And at the end of the book, we go from the physical mm -hmm. back into the spiritual. Yeah. And that's exactly what God is saying. It's sort of a moving into the physical and then moving out of the physical into the spiritual. And I think it's important for us to remember that as we study these last chapters in the Bible. Absolutely. Okay, very good. Corey? All right, so our mechanized day and age in which we live today, it has really taken away uh, some symbolism from our society. And one of these areas that has really kind of separated us from the reality that most humans who have ever lived on the face of the planet have had to deal with is in the area of clothing and materials. Materials used to have to be handmade. They couldn't just be machine made. And this made a material, um, you know, a very luxurious item. Item, even when it was just basic, basic material, because it had to be grown and harvested and spun and worked into clothing. And then that clothing had to be fitted. Uh, so clothing as such had deeper meaning. It was more precious to the people who owned it. Let's take a look at ancient attitudes and symbolism that have to do with clothing and textiles. And we'll talk about how it relates to Revelation afterwards. Clothing has always been an important part of the human experience, and its symbolic use in the Bible is powerful, though not always explained. From discovered tablets in a few ancient cities, scholars have translated cultural attitudes toward clothing that can be helpful in proper biblical understanding. Mesopotamian documents stress the importance of the hem of garments. The hem was more than a practical reinforcement of an outfit. It was decorated and matched the person's life status, rank, and social standing. In Mesopotamian culture, it was considered an extension of the person themselves. Therefore, any alterations or damages to the hem were important. For example, in pagan rituals of exorcism, pieces of the hem would be cut off and rituals done to them as if it were the person themselves. Pagan prophets of Mari would send small pieces of their hem to the king as a personal guarantee of their prophecy. And as the final act in Mesopotamian divorce, the husband would remove the hem of his wife, removing her status as married into his household. 
In the Bible, Israelites were commanded to add tassels to their hems that incorporated a single blue thread. These tassels, with their streak of expensive ancient color, were to remind of the status of Israelites as covenant people. There are also several instances of the hem of garments being removed in the Bible. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul tears the hem of the prophet and priest Samuel. Samuel then tells Saul that God has likewise ripped the kingdom away from Saul. As you have ripped my identity, God has torn away yours. In 1 Samuel 24, David chooses to cut a piece of Saul's kingly hem in order to prove that he's not murderous. But once he does it, he's overcome with guilt. David will not try to take Saul's life nor his kingship as represented by the hem of his garment. Clothing as a whole also signified status and position. Take for example how only the priests were to wear linen ephods, or how a person's shoe could represent their responsibility in legal matters. Akkadian tablets from the 13th century record an instance of divorce between a king and his queen. Their son, the crowned prince, may also leave with his mother and forfeit his status as next in line to the king. If he leaves, he must remove his clothing and place it on the throne. His clothing is tied to his role as crown prince. In the Saul and David narratives, the first kings of Israel, this same concept is present. After Saul is decommissioned as king by God, Saul literally disrobes and falls before Samuel. This also helps explain the covenant between Israel's crown prince Jonathan and David. Jonathan disrobes and gives his clothing and armor to David, supporting David as the new crowned prince of Israel. So in Revelation chapter 21, it talks about the bride being clothed for her wedding. You know, the church being presented to Christ in bridal clothing. So I hope you see now, you know, we still brides today in the West, we still have certain traditions that we hold to. We generally do get a special dress, but we don't, though these dresses are expensive, definitely more expensive than a regular dress that we would buy, we still don't have we don't attach the same sort of value and significance that once was attached to clothing simply due to the fact of how difficult it was to actually manufacture. So I hope you're able to see here a deeper understanding of the significance, not only here in Revelation 21 of the bride being clothed, but then also as you reflect back on this idea of God clothing us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, there's some really deep uh, symbolism that goes along with the ideas of clothing and textiles. Because the, the industrialization of our culture mm -hmm. has affected everything, our food, our clothing, yeah. has affected everything. It's made life a lot easier in many ways, practical, we can focus on other things, but we have lost some of the really interesting symbolism, which we can still understand if we apply our minds to, but it's easy to not think about now. Yeah, very, very interesting. Okay, more to come on that. Janice? Yes, well, we're learning today in Revelation chapter 21 about the New Jerusalem and the construction of its wall, the foundation of the walls and its gates. And it made me think about our foundation and what Jesus talked about. And a big part of what this television program is, if you're a new viewer, welcome. We're gonna get ready in January, January 1, to start in Genesis 1 again, the 32nd year of this program going through the Bible. 
But what we want to do is to build our lives on the foundation of the Word of God because it brings a stability. It brings a truth that is outside of this world that really seems the opposite of a lot of what we learn and we grow up with in this world. I want to read a portion of scripture that Jesus talked about building on the rock. And this is in Luke chapter 6, and I'm going to start at verse 46. Jesus says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? That's a very good question. And how do we know what he has said if we don't read it in his word? He goes on to say, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, ah, so it's not just about reading the words and knowing them, but it's actually applying them in the way we talk, in the way we act, in the way we react. So he goes on to say, so whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Mm. So where is your foundation built? Is it on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, or is your trust and your hope in us, in humanity, in the world, in our governments? I don't know about you, but I want to put my faith in the word of God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to build my foundation on the rock so that when the storms come, and the storms do come, we all know that, that we can stand firm, knowing that our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's important to remember that Jesus Christ said, you know, when you build your house, make sure you don't build it on the sand. Mm -hmm. And we can tell from looking at human history and studying it, every weapon man has ever made, he used against himself. We understand that. Man is always killed. There's a lot of people dying today. But if we put our, our hope, our hope, true hope on Jesus Christ, he died and rose again and gave us eternal life. And that's the message of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. So keep that in your heart and in your mind. Pray to God, ask forgiveness of your sin, and He will help you. Remember, get on our mailing list to receive the Bible guide. There's just a few days left, but if the quicker you get on, the better off you are. And you can go through the Bible with us next year, which starts in a few days. And let me tell you something, it is exciting. New verses, new things to look at, but we're going through the Bible. Father, I pray today, as we've learned from your scripture, everything that you've told us. Now, we don't can't understand it all, 
but we've learned that you're speaking. Help us, Lord, to see our eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.